Praise the Lord. Wow, God is good. It's already been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So thankful for our worship team. Great job, guys. I tell you what, I've been accused in the past of being bad Pentecostal. Had a lady listen to our podcast uh, a few months ago, and she uh, she said, what denomination are y'all? And I said, well, we're Baptist. She said, oh, you're Babdecostal. And I said, well, I don't know about that, but um, that's what you want to call it. But uh, you don't see many running Baptist in the middle of a worship service, but I was close a while ago. Lord, Lord bless my heart. Thank you, brother, so much for leading us into worship into the presence and power of God. What a blessing that truly is. Y'all all did a great job, man. Everybody was sounding good this morning, singing praise to the Lord. One of the, the verses or the part, the part of a verse that really stuck out to me as we were singing, I love it when God just kind of speaks something to your spirit. You know what I mean? And th- this morning, we kept singing that Jesus is our confidence. Do you know that's true? When we say that Jesus is our confidence, that simply means that We can and should put our trust in him. Our hope is found in nothing and no one but the Lord Jesus Christ. We can trust him. We should trust him. You don't have to apologize for trusting him and the truth of his word. You need to build your life upon the truth of his word and who he is. And his firm foundation of truth is, um, is our foundation as believers. And so this morning, I'm thankful that we can and we should put our confidence in none other than the Lord Jesus. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6 is what we're going to be focusing on again today. We're going to continue focusing on the family. Now, why are we putting so much focus on the family unit. Why are we talking about this so much? Well, the reason is we understand the importance of the family. We understand the power of the family for we understand the purpose of the family. We've looked at all of that thus far and we found out that the family is of utmost importance to God's plan for planet earth and it always has been ever since the beginning uh, there in the Garden of Eden. We understand that uh, family, or excuse me, marriage was the first institution created by God. How many of you know this morning, before God ever created the church, He created marriage? And before God ever created um, government, He created marriage. And it's from marriage that God created family. And I want you to understand um, that marriage, which creates family, listen to me, folks is the vehicle God wants to use to spread His image throughout the whole earth. Now, it just makes sense that God would create family first. And I'll tell you why. Because really all we have in the setting of a church, in the setting of this church or any local church, is just a collection of families. Now, how many of you would agree with me this morning? If we get stronger, more godly marriages, we'll have stronger, more godly families. And then if we have stronger, more godly families, how many of you would agree, and we have stronger, more godly uh, uh, churches, that that in turn we'll have stronger, more godly communities. 
See, when we are living up to our potential by the power of God in the church, then we'll be that shining city set upon a hill just like Jesus commanded us to be. We'll be that light in the darkness. We'll be the hands and feet of Christ that go out into a lost and dying world to make a difference. So with stronger marriages, we have stronger families. With stronger families, we'll have stronger churches. With stronger churches, we'll have stronger communities. And with stronger communities, if you follow that on out, you'll find out we'll have a stronger nation. And with a stronger nation, we have a stronger world, a better world, a more godly place for God to be honored and glorified. But all of that starts at the foundational level, and the foundational level is marriage and family. That's the way God has always wanted this. So we're focusing on the family for those reasons. Now, I just wish the God of heaven who created marriage and who created family would have given us some instruction as to what marriage and family is supposed to look like. Have you ever thought that? <laughs> well, I've got some good news for us, all of us. God has given us an instruction manual for marriage and for family, and it's called its precious word, the Bible. And what we have here in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, and in many other places, is the instruction manual for how family is supposed to operate. Now, we need to look to God's word because how many of you know God is the creator of marriage and family? And if you really want to know how those things are supposed to work, how those things are supposed to operate, you need to consult its creator. And God himself created this his way for his purpose in his sovereignty. And so if we really want to know what it's supposed to look like, how we can have godly marriages, godly families that will in turn change everything else, we need to take a look at what thus says the Lord. He's the creator. I tell couples all the time when I'm counseling with them that in 1909, the first uh, Model T Ford rolled off the assembly line in uh, Detroit, Michigan. And when that happened, Henry Ford um, became the first one to ever or mass produce automobiles, creating the Model T. Now, if we want to know how the Model T Ford is supposed to operate, who do you think we need to talk to? Probably need to talk to Henry Ford. He can probably tell you everything about that automobile, what it's supposed to do, what it's not supposed to do, what, uh, how to work on it, how to fix it, how to make it the, the most effective it can possibly be made. And so the same is true with marriage and family when it comes to the, to the Word of God. He gives us his instruction for what he wants family marriage to be and what we need it to be. Can you say amen? So... In Ephesians 5 and 6, I started this last week so that we might get a hold of these instructions. If you put it, uh, the thing together right, according to the instructions, it'll work as it's supposed to work. I want you to help me preach this morning. I want to make a statement. I want, to, I want you to say amen if you believe in it. God's word works when you work it. Now, I want you to help me with this. I'm going to say the first part of that statement. I'm going to say God's word works, and then you're going to finish it when you work it. That's your part, okay? One, two, three. Now, I want you to say it like you mean it. God's word works. Let's do it again. God's word works. Let's do it one more time. God's word works. When you work it, but you've got to work it. You've got to apply it. You've got to take this truth, glean from it what is necessary in your life, and apply it unto yourself. And, if, but, and listen to me now. If you don't apply it, then you can't expect God's blessing upon it. 
And I don't know about you, but I want God's blessing on my marriage. And I want God's blessing upon my family and my kids, my, my, my parenting, and, and everything that's going on in my home, I want God's blessing. But I realize if I'm going to get God's blessing, i got to do things God's way. The law of sowing and reaping applies to us all. And we've got to make sure we're sowing correctly so that we might reap correctly. Can you say amen? So let's take a look at the Word of God and what it says to us. There's four main points that I want to give you here from Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6. I started last week with point number one, and we didn't, we didn't get finished with that. We're going to try to finish all of them this morning. Uh, so Lord willing, I'm going to speak fast. If you'll listen fast, we'll finish this th today. But um, in Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 18, the Bible says that we need not be drunk with wine wherein is excess or dissipation, but we need to be filled with the Spirit. And so point number one in this message was, and still is, that for a family to be effective and be what God wants it to be, every member of the family must be Spirit-filled, if you believe it, say amen. And to be Spirit-filled, we talked about this last week, is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He's comparing uh, the man who's controlled by wine here with the man who's controlled by the Spirit. And he says, look, you don't need to let wine have control of you or that which pleases the flesh have control of you. What you must let have control of you is God the Holy Spirit that dwells in every believer. And as you allow God to control your heart, mind, and your will, guess what's going to happen, folks? You can be then what God wants you to be, what he's called you to be, what he's purposed for you to be. So what I'm trying to say to you fathers, you can be the father God wants you to be, but it takes his power working on you, working in you, and working through you for you to do it. You can be husbands, the husband God wants you to be, but it takes his power working on you, working in you, and working through you. You can be mamas, what God wants you to be in the lives of your children, but it takes his power working on you, in you, and through you. You can be wives, what God wants you to be, but it takes his power working on you, in you, and through you, controlling you, not your will, but his. Can you say amen? That's what he's talking about. Every member must be controlled by God the Holy Spirit. Brighten us up, guys. Every member. We need to understand that first and foremost. If we don't, we will never be effective in what God has called us to be in our individual roles in the family. Children, you can be what God wants you to be, but it takes him working on you, working in you and working through you, you being controlled by God, the Holy Spirit. We've got to figure out who's in control. I was thinking about that just this past week. Back last year, I was doing some flying lessons, and uh, I was just learning to land the plane, about to do my first solo, and my instructor takes me up one day, and all we did was just stay in what's called the pattern there around uh, the, uh, the, the airport, the landing strip. And it's just a really a uh, two-mile radius around the landing strip is where we stay. And we just go around and around, land and take off, land and take off, land and take off. And we do that over and over and over for about two hours just so you get, get that down. How I many know flying the plane uh, is not that uh, difficult or, or maybe not that important, but landing sure is important, amen? Anybody can fly. The landing is where 
um, it takes a different turn sometimes. And so we was up there flying around, man, landing, flying, landing. And that day there was about a 12-knot wind. It, there was 12 to 15 knots the wind was blowing crossways across the airport. The airport in Hamilton runs north and south, and there was a crosswind that was blowing east to west across that. And so we were coming in for the first time to land, and you got to know a little bit about a plane to understand the illustration that I'm giving you. In the plane that we're flying, it's a Cessna 172. That means I've got a yoke on my side. The, the, the uh, co-pilot has got a yoke on his side, and the yoke is what you steer the plane with. And so if, there, if a problem arises and I as a student don't know what to do, then the instructor is there to take over the controls, all right? He can do what's necessary to get us where we need to go safely. And so we're flying around that first time, and we come in for a landing, and I, take, I go to what's called final approach, and I'm losing altitude like I'm supposed to be losing altitude, getting ready to land. And I'm coming in right before I get into land, um, we already had power off to engines. The, the, the plane is falling, so you're kind of at the last time that you can back out at that moment without landing. And, and so at that moment, then uh, this crosswind hits the plane and blows us all the way over to the side of the runway. And immediately, this is the, 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 the statement I made to the guys. I said, you have the airplane. That's how we talk to one another. If, I'm, if, he, if he wants me to fly, he says, all right, the plane is yours. You have the airplane. If I want him to fly, then I say, you have the airplane. The plane is yours. And when that crosswind hit me, the first thing that come out of my mouth before I knew it, you have the airplane. I knew I wasn't ready for that. Now, the same is true for each and every one of us in our roles in the family unit, there's going to arise times in your family, in your relationships, when you're not ready for it. And what we must do is allow God to have control of the airplane. Can you say amen? To have control of the situation. Now, we don't wait till we can't handle it. We just say, okay, God, your will be done. We want to make sure we're in complete lockstep with his leading, guiding, and directing in our lives. Every family member must be spirit-filled. And then we saw, looked at uh, the next point just a little bit, and we said every spouse must play their role, and God has given us different roles to play. That's point number two. Every spouse must play his or her role. Let me just say something right there. There's only his and hers. That's it. That's all God created. Now people may be struggling with other things, but there are only his and her roles. Male and female, God created them. Can you say amen? <laughs> For his purpose. Regardless of popular opinion or teaching, God's word is still truth. And the only roles we have are the male and female roles, the husband and the wife. Now, playing your role is of utmost importance. I spoke with my son this morning in preparation for this message as I was getting ready to come out and preach to you. Over the last few years, he's gotten into the theater program and, is, and has played several roles in different plays. And so I called him up. I said, son, I want you to tell me the importance of knowing your role and playing your role. This is what he said to me. I wrote it down. If you don't know the role, you can't play the role. And so what he's saying is you've got to know who you're playing. 
You've got to know what you're saying. You've got to know your lines. And so what, you, what they do is, is rehearse constantly. He's always going to rehearsal and getting ready for this and practicing over and over and over and over. Now, what we're doing this morning, by the Word of God, we're all learning our roles. Can you say amen? I, I, I'm trying by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Word of God just to give all of us, me and you included, a clear direction of what God wants. That's knowing your role. But then he said this, he said, if you don't play your role, when it's time to play it, then not only does it affect you, it affects everybody else in the play. If you don't know when, <laughs> it's time for you to say the line or do whatever you're doing in the course of that scene, it's not only going to mess you up, it's going to mess everybody else up. It's going to mess the play up. You've got to know your role, but then you've got to play your role. And we looked at the role of the husband and the wife just a little bit last week. Let's review that before we go further. I want to make sure that we know what God's word is saying to us. God has commanded in Ephesians 5.25, listen to me, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself forth, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives, even as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loves himself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh but watch this nourisheth it and he cherisheth it i love how the word of god puts that even as the lord the church god holds marriage in such high esteem he uses marriage to describe the relationship between jesus and the church isn't that amazing and he says the spirit-filled husband is going to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Now what does that mean? To love your wife as Christ loved the church, we said meant that you must love her selflessly. Selflessly. When I was a single man, I did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it for my benefit. But how many of you know now that I'm married and have children, that's not an option. If I'm going to fulfill my role, if I'm going to, listen to me now, realize my responsibility, that's not an option. What I have to do now is selflessly put their needs before my needs. Why? Because that's how Jesus did the church. How many know Jesus didn't need forgiveness for sin? He, he knew no sin. Jesus did not need salvation. He provided salvation. Jesus didn't need the shed blood of the lamb. He provided the shed blood of the lamb. Now, why did he do that? Just because he wanted to? Because he felt like it? No, he did that because I needed it and because you needed it. And he selflessly laid down his needs, his wants, because we had needs. Can you say amen? So the husband is called to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That means he selflessly lays himself down. Let's put that in practical terms. What does that look like? Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. There are times in my life, don't get me wrong now, I am thankful for my workplace. Thankful for my job. I see my job as a blessing because I know that's how God allows me to provide for my family. 
I see my job as a blessing because I also see that as my mission field. I can go there and maybe speak into the life of someone else, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. So I, I'm thankful for my job, but I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I get sick of my job. You know what I'm talking about? I'm just done with it. I'm like, I'm just so done with this. I'd just soon be at the house. You know what I'm talking about? And, and if I was just operating according to me, I'd be at the house. You me tell you why? I could make it. Brothers and sisters, I have eaten Vienna sausages and potted meat and bologna before. I could do it again. And a lot of times, if this is up to me, I'd be like, I am done with this junk. I'm going to the house and I'll pick up a case of Vianney's on the way. But guess what? It's no longer about me. It ain't about me. It's no longer about just what I want or what I need. Now, because I have headship, I have responsibility. It's about what she needs, what he needs, what she needs, what she needs. You get me? It's about what they need. So I don't operate and make choices just depending upon self anymore. So guess what I'm going to do tomorrow morning? I'm going to get up and go to work. That's practical. Jesus selflessly loved the church. Let me tell you something else he did. He sacrificially loved the church. He said, brother, does that mean i got to sacrifice myself for my wife? Yes, it does mean that. Physically, well, if come to it, if there comes a time when I need to lay down my life for my wife, I need to be ready to do that because I love her that much, and I do. Let me tell you other ways that you sacrificially love. You sacrifice your individuality. You sacrifice your singleness like I talked to you about last week. Listen, I don't operate like a single man because I'm not a single man. I sacrificed that when I got married. Amen? We got to do that. Jesus loved us selflessly, sacrificially. Let me tell you something else. He loved us in a sanctifying way. And the Bible says right here that we are to love our wives in the same way. Just as Jesus sanctified the church, he makes the church by his leadership more godly. That means Brandy Price ought to be more godly because she's been under my leadership in the home. That's what he's talking about there. That's loving your wife as Christ loved the church. That's the husband's role, and a spirit-filled husband can and will do that. Let me give you the next one now. Not only does the, the husband have a role, but the wife has a role. And the, and the Bible says in Ephesians 5.22, back up, look right here. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourselves on your own husbands as unto the Lord. The wife's role is submitting to that godly husband. Amen. Amen. It's, it's one, now, don't get me wrong here now. I want you to get a hold of this. I had a man come to me one time. He's, he, he said, brothers, me and my wife need to talk to you after church. I said, all right. So we went back to my office. We're sitting in there, um, me and him, and he calls his wife, and she comes in through the door. Uh, she sits down. I, we shut the door there, and I say, okay, guys, what you got going on? And, and, and uh, he looks at me, flips open his Bible, turns it around so I could see it, sets it on my desk, and then points to Ephesians 5.22. He says, I want you to tell her how to do that. <laughs> and I thought, brother, you about to get me and you both in a mess right here. 
you don't know what you're asking. But just by his tone and how he was acting, I knew he had no concept of what Ephesians 5.22 actually means. See, his concept of what that means is, I'm going to shake my glass and you fill it up and I get thirsty. Come on now. Come on now. His concept of that, I'm going to boss you and you've got to do what I say. No. See, we are to be to our wives as Christ is to us. What is Christ to the church? Christ is a servant leader. Did he not come as the suffering servant? Yes. And that's what we got to be, guys. A servant leader in our home. And when we do that, I can promise you, I can promise you, when you do that, when you apply these truths, your wife will have no problem submitting to you. And wives, if you do have a problem submitting at that point, you've got the problem. You've got a pride problem. You've got an arrogance problem. Maybe you've got a teaching problem because today's culture teaches us that a woman should never submit. And I'm going to tell you, the modern feminist movement has done more to completely destroy the family, I think, than just about anything else. And it's created a generation of women who hate men. And that's not the way God has intended this. So I'm just saying, if your husband is loving you as Jesus loves the church, come under that submission. And guess what that's going to do? That's going to free you up. Let me tell you what happens so many times. A, 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 a wife will do nothing but emasculate her husband. You say, brother, what do you mean by that? Well, It'll come to the place where she always sees what he's doing as wrong and never right. That the, the husband gets to the place where he says, you know what? Why do I even try? Why do I even try? Why do I even mess with this? If everything I do is going to be wrong, then why am I even trying? And he just shuts down, closes off. And does his own thing. Guess what happens then? Then everything falls on the wife's lap. Guess what's happened? You've taken things out of order because God said it ought to be Jesus, the husband, the wife, the children. And when you've got that order in the right place, then what you do is link your home to heaven through the chain of command that God has given. When you get that out of order, I'm going to tell you, not only do you stop the flow of blessing that God wants to give, but let me tell you what else happens. Your life becomes miserable, ladies. Because your husband thinks, man, I don't need, hey, listen, if, she, if nothing I do is right, and no matter how hard I try, she's not going to appreciate it, and she's not going to give me ever any encouragement, then I'll just do my own thing, I'll let her do her own thing, and we'll just survive it. We'll just endure it. God does not want you to endure your marital relationship. And if you do it God's way, you won't have to. You won't have to. I'm telling you. So what does it look like to submit? Well, first of all, you've got to humble yourself. 
you got to realize it ain't always about you, what you want. Let me tell you what else it looks like. If you're in submission to your husband, you're going to, listen to me now, respect your husband. You're going to be your husband's biggest cheerleader, his biggest encourager. Let me ask you something, ladies. When's the last time you told your husband thank you for all he does? When's the last time you said, you know what? I am so thankful God placed you in my life, and I'm thankful for the sacrifices you make every day. Let me tell you something. He's not getting that outside your home. Sometimes it feels like he's being beat up from the time he leaves to the time he gets back. And when he comes home and that becomes a safe place, and he looks at his wife and she says, thank you, guess what? I don't care what nobody else does out there, what nobody else says. If she's saying thank you, I'm good. I'll go back tomorrow. I'll go back next week. And I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep doing everything that needs to be done because I know she's happy. See, ladies, you don't know how much influence you have over your husband. You really don't. What you need to start doing is playing chess instead of checkers. Some of y'all trying to play checkers, and guess what's happening? You're getting things out of order and missing out on God's best for your life. What you need to do is play a little chess. Let me tell you how you play chess. You let your opinion be known, yes, in a respectful, loving way. But let me tell you what else you do. You continually find things your husband do that is right and praise him for it and ease up on finding everything that's wrong. And the more he is encouraged, the more he is lifted up, the more he, you show him respect, I can promise you, the more of it he's going to want. Amen? And he's going to start doing things that he will believe will bring more of that. So play a little chess. Quit playing checkers. Amen? To submit means to humble yourself. Listen, offer encouragement. Be your husband's cheerleader that he needs because he needs it. I can't stress this enough. Biblical submission does not mean that you are inferior. The word to submit there in Ephesians 5.22 is a military term that means a private puts himself under the direction of his commanding officer. Now the truth is there are a lot of privates that probably make better officers than the officers. They may have the ability, but guess what? They don't have the authority. And if you're going to follow a chain of command and link your home to heaven, you've got to come under authority. Amen. Amen. And ladies, listen to me. You can't be over something until you come under what you need to come under. Husbands, you can't be over something until you come under what you need to become or turn, until you come under who you need to come under. So husbands, you come under Jesus. Listen, wives, you come under your husbands in submission. And then children, you come under your mama. And when you start doing that, I'm telling you, God's word works. Let's try it one more time. God's word works. Listen to me. Every member must be spirit-filled. Every spouse must fulfill their role. Amen? Ephesians 5. Look down to verse number 33. I believe it is, brothers. If I could give you one verse... 
and counsel you in the ways of marriage. This would be it. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. In nine verses, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells men to love their wives three times. And this is not him asking, but commanding. Commanding. This is a command God has given. Amen? <laughs> Had a dear brother in Christ called me up about four years ago. He was a pastor. And he said, I got to talk to you about something. I said, oh, man, what's, what you got going on? We had, we had kept in um, communication through phone for years. He lives, don't live here, he lives away. So I don't get to see him much face to face. But uh, he called me up and he said, uh, I think me and my wife is about to get a divorce. And I said, what? He said, yeah, we're about to get a divorce. And he said, it's just gotten to the point where, you know, she don't, um, she never offers any encouragement. She never in any way acts as though she loves me. And I, I just, I'm just done with it. And I said, brother, go home and love your wife. He said, no, you don't understand, man. He said, I, I've dealt with this now for three or four years. I just can't do it anymore. I said, brother, go home. And love your wife. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I've already moved out. I mean, I, I, I'm living on my own now. Brother, please, listen to me. Go home and love your wife. No, I, I can't. You don't get it. I, I've, I've, I've already made a decision to be with this woman that I work with. We're moving in together. I can't go home. I said, brother, please, listen to me. Please. Go home and love your wife. I'm not doing it. I'm not going home. I said, I'm going to tell you something. God's word is truth. What you sow, you will reap. Please go home and love your wife. He said, I can't do it. And he didn't. That was four years ago. He had kids, had a ministry, a powerful ministry, a good ministry. The Lord was blessing. Now he has no contact with his children, no ministry, and no wife. Because he found out real quick, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Guys. Listen to me. Go home and love your wife. Brother, you don't know what she said to me. You don't know how she treats me. Go home and love your wife. Brother, you don't know things that's happened. You just don't get it, man. You ain't been there. Please, please, please listen to me. Go home and love your wife. You're in a committed triune covenant not just with your husband but before the Lord 
It's no longer about whether you want to love your wife or you feel like you love your wife. No, <laughs> love is a choice. We've been duped by Disney and the princess movies when everybody thinks love is about the feelings of butterflies in your stomach and birds singing. Folks, listen to me. Love is a choice that you make every day. And there are days I choose to love my wife, and I know there are days she chooses to love me. Go home, guys, and love your wife. Look at the next part of this verse. Watch what it says. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Do you think this morning, I, I was in Brother Nathan's Sunday school class today, and we were talking about how that God knows what we need better than we know what we need. Brother, you've done a fantastic job with that. Bless my soul. If you're missing out on that, he's, he's going through a book right now entitled How to Teach Your Kids to Trust in Jesus, which I think is, boy, if that's ever been needed, it's needed right now. And just giving you some very practical ways for you to talk to your children about the faith. Fantastic. It's really good stuff today. We were talking about how God knows what we need better than we know what we need. Do y'all believe that? I do too. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, then I would say the greatest need for a wife is to feel as though her husband loves her. Ladies, would you agree with that? If that's true, if God knows what we need better than we know what we need, let me tell you something, ladies, your husband's greatest need. Nevertheless, let every one of you in some particular love his wife, even have himself, and the wife see that she reverence or respect her husband. Your husband's greatest need is respect. I'm telling you something, folks. If I know she's got my back, there have been times, y'all don't even know. Sometimes I know y'all get bored with the message. You ain't the only one. Sometimes I get bored with the message. I'll be like, Lord, did I miss it here? You know? Goodness gracious, I just want to get to the final point so I can be done. And I'll get down to, because this means something to me. You know, I know this is what God has called me to, and I don't want to do a good job when I do it. I want to be spirit-led and let God have his way and will. And, and when that don't happen, and I get down, I just feel like I'm bombed. And I get in the car, or I get to the house, and Brandy says, honey, I love you, and I'm so thankful for you. And you did a good job today knowing she's lying. Praise God, it makes me feel better. She encourages me, picks me back up. And so I think, you know what? If she's got my back, we'll make it. Well, I know I have her respect. I know I can make it. Respect your husband. Respect your husband. Now, I want you to know this. Ladies, if you want to be loved, be more lovable. Be more lovable. Make it easy for that man to love you. It ain't hard for me to love this woman. It's easy. She's so great. She's so good to me. You know? It's easy for me to love her. Be lovable. Men, do you want respect? 
Be respectable. Be men of integrity. Hey, listen. Do what the Bible says. I promise you, if you love her, she won't have a problem respecting you. And ladies, if you respect him, he won't have a problem loving you. Everybody got it? Everybody stand up this morning. I have preached to you today what God has put on my heart. And I certainly do not know what the Lord has spoken to yours. But I want to encourage you, husbands, wives, families. Let's be spirit-led in what we do. Let's be controlled by the Spirit this week. Can you say amen? And in a moment when I pray, that's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would give us clear direction by the person of the Spirit to exactly what He wants in our lives each and every day. I'm going to pray for His leadership and direction. I believe when we pray and ask for that, God's willing to give it. The Bible says in James 1.5 that if we lack wisdom, all we've got to do is ask for it and He'll give it to us. So I'm going to pray for all that for you this week. But now remember, you have a choice to make. God's word works, but you've got to work it. Apply it to your life. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this good day, how good you are to us. We're so thankful for the truth of your precious word. I'm thankful for the gift of marriage. I'm thankful, Lord, this morning that you have spoken to our hearts. Lord, you have challenged us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us clear direction as to how we apply these truths. Practical ways that we can make a difference in our home. Lord, we are asking today that you would have your way and will in our church. We want stronger marriages so that we can have stronger homes, so that we can have a stronger church and change the world. Thank you, Lord, that you give us instruction on how to do that. Help us to make application from your truth to our lives by your power, Holy Spirit. And Lord, these things, we're going to give you praise, honor, and glory for it, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.